You're listening to episode 159 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And it is the 12th of August 2021 here in Norwich as we're recording. How are you doing, Steph? Not bad, thank you. Very busy. We're juggling so many exciting projects. How about you? Yeah, all good. I'm preparing for a week off, though, which is nice, just just to rub it in a little bit that you're so busy. Oh, thanks so much. Exactly. Even though I'm away, we're not going to have a, a podcast interruption. So we, we have lots of episodes ready to go. But on the podcast today, we have two translators, Shash Trivet and Gita Sukumaran, who translate from Tamil. And they've been working together recently, translating... Tamil poetry by Nilandan, which is all about the final days of the Sri Lankan civil war. And Shash is one of our Visible Communities virtual translators in residence. You can find out information all about Visible Communities and our residency program over on the website. And Steph, I think we've got a workshop coming up just next week with Shash and Gita as well, don't we? Yes, absolutely. So Shash and Gita will be running two workshops on the 17th and the 24th of August, and they are online for anyone to take part in. So again, if you want to find out more about those workshops, do head over to our website and look under the What's On section. Yes, and you'll find all sorts of other events coming up as well, including courses, workshops online and in person at Dragon Hall. We've got lots and lots going on. Oh, so much going on right now. The audio quality of this episode is unfortunately not quite what we're used to, but the content of the conversation is fantastic, so hopefully that won't get in the way. Okay, so without further ado, let's hand over to Shash and Kita. Hello, my name is Shash Trevet. I am a poet and a translator of Tamil poetry into English. I'm currently a visible translator in residence at the National Centre for Writing. As part of this residency, I have been translating the poetry of Tamil poet Nilandan in collaboration with Geetha Sukhumaran, who lives in Canada. The aim of this collaboration is to examine the different models of translation within the Tamil diaspora, focusing on Britain and Canada in this instance. Geetha joins me today to have a conversation about our lives as literary translators. And we are very thankful to the National Centre for Writing for giving us this opportunity to talk about our work. Hi, Geetha, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Geetha Sukumaran from Canada. I am a poet and a bilingual translator in Tamil and English. And as Shasha said it all, uh, we are collaborating about uh, the time collaborating for the translation of Nilanthan's work, who is a Tamil poet from Sri Lanka. Maybe we could start talking about how we got into literary translation. Would you like to to tell us um, what your first project was? What did you translate first? Yeah, my first translation was in Tamil. I translated Sylvia Plath's poems into Tamil. It was a selected work of, um, I think it was about 50 poems that I did. And uh, that was my first translation in Tamil. And the second I did was in English. It was Ahilan's poetry that I translated into English, which came out in uh, 2018. So you're a bilingual translator. Yes. And do you prefer one way or the other? Do you prefer going um, Tamil to English or English to Tamil? Um, I don't think... I have a preference in that sense or in that way, but um, it's it just the uh, the call of the work. Like as you read a work that stays with you, and then uh, um, I mentioned it in my introduction for Aguilar, 
the only way to release that work is by translating that that happens sometimes yes and i just go back um call and you would know as, as a translator and a writer to what i'm mentioning about that call that comes from a literary a specific literary work yes yes you you do want to share it don't you 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 want to give it a, a new home yes um in a new country so it must have been hard to tra- translate plath i i it seems like so different to translate plath into tamil and then you're dealing with uh, modern tamil poetry uh, to do with the war uh, translating that into english it just seems like such a wonderful conjunction i can't even get my head around it yeah a plath yes you know the first one to ask uh, ask me about plath and a tamil translation of plath as much as i can see about modern poetry being translated from tamil to english I was arrested by Plath too, and it's her uh, language, her imagery, like the anger, violence, all that. <laughs> yes. It was there with me for many years because it was part of my research for my MPhil. That was like right. a few years ago. So then I yeah. realized that it, one way is releasing it into like finding a place, as you said, a home in another country. But as I was doing this process, um, there was uh, a professor late, uh, Chalva Kanaganayakam from uh, University of Toronto. He told me one sentence that changed the whole um, perspective for me about translation. He said, like, whoever is aware of Plath would read it in English. They would definitely like yeah. to read it in English. So he said, what makes your translation more uh, important is the introduction you give to it that provides the context for the translation and it gives um uh the uh, like how you want to open it up for the other audience in the other country it is introduction that would be as equal if not less as valuable as the translation itself i think it's a simple uh, sentence that i uh, have it in my heart forever now and every time i look at translation i also see introduction as a very important part of that translation it's like a process so closely connected that's that's really um really interesting actually because your introduction to ahilan's book that came out in 2018 then there were no witnesses i mean that's a wonderful read because you do set him up completely in context for an audience who maybe don't know much about the situation in sri lanka at the time yeah when it came to ahilan's translation um there is a difference with the work we do um with an author who's not alive and yeah. with an author who's alive and who's speaking to the current situations that the, or he or she is dealing with and so uh, the translation then becomes um a dialogue it sort of like there was i was always constantly in touch with ahil and asking him questions about words and choices that i had to make and he would come back with the english words the choices that i made so it was like more like a dialogue that we had and yes. um, i think that enriches the translation in many ways given that it speaks so much about war and violence and the trauma yeah and uh, this conversation helps the translation the urgency the poems speak about all in perspective like put it in that perspective yes so maybe we should say something about ahilan actually since we've talked about him so much yeah um i came across ahilan's second volume actually he has three volumes of poetry i came across a second volume of um poetry that um 
they were like short poems and his lines were very compact minimally like totally minimally and um and the, the language he used was um more uh, to do with uh, strong imagery and it also kind of connected early tamil literature the literary tradition of the 2000 year old literary tradition the culture yeah. there was so much in it that he had packed in those uh, poems and obviously that again brought me back to the same question of like how you um uh, talk about war and violence and have all these local cultures and memories embedded within that poetry that woven into i wanted to ask you shash so how did you start about um translation the very first translation you did or how you came about it well i think i'm more of an accidental translator um in many ways so i um i didn't really speak tamil i sort of abandoned tamil after the war and i couldn't really speak it or read it or think it and then i met um a poet called uh, jack mapanji who's a fantastic poet from malawi who lives in york and i met him in york and he had read some of my english poetry and he said no you really should be going back to your mother tongue and i thought okay <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a tra- challenge um but i did and it was a sort of a uh sort of an awakening in a way it's a lot of things i'd kept a tight lid on just allowing myself access to the language again allowed all this stuff to come out but i wrote a couple of poems for mpt um which i then translated myself and when they were published um they were read by lakshmi holmstrom who was a great tamil translator and i sort of met her at a book signing and she said to me your english poetry your your english poetry is lovely your tamil poetry not so good you know and she never really held back her punches lakshmi she was such a great teacher but she said write to me and we started writing and she sort of took me under her wing and she became my mentor and she taught me so much about translation and i realized no i can't write in tamil at all but what i can do is bring the beautiful tamil poetry into english which i can write in so that's how i started really i started with her encouragement and and her guidance and then i sort of was just dipping in and out and i'm currently working on a project on bringing together an anthology of um sri lankan poetry tamil sinhala and english with vidya ravindran and saini senaviratna which is going to be published by bloodax in 2023 we think so for that i had to start translating some of the older translations which we thought needed a bit of an update and that was when i started writing to other translators who were working with the language and obviously lakshmi holmstrom had passed away and so had um professor chelva kanaganayam in in canada he'd passed away as well so it's getting to know the new generation of translators and which is how i came across you um I wrote to you saying have you got any translations you'd like to send us i wanted to ask you would you at this point are you uh, thinking of just translating poetry or would you be interested in prose like does that make a difference to you as a poet yes 
Yeah, I can't. I can't write prose. So how can I translate prose? No, no, no. And prose is just so scary. There are just too many words. I love poetry because it's so contained. You feel safe in poetry. I look at prose, especially Tamil prose, and I just want to go and hide somewhere, you know, in a dark corner. So I a I won't have the expertise to translate prose. And B, I don't have the expertise in writing prose in English. So, no, I would never, ever translate prose. What about you? Even me, like I prefer to uh, translate poetry and poetry is the literary work that I'm always drawn into. And then even as I think of it, I think poetry allows this um, comfort to like step in and step out like anytime you want. Like yeah. I find when I think of a novel, I I find that I'm bound to that for hours and for just the very book, the the word, yes. using it speaks because there's a continuity in it. Not yeah. poetry doesn't have that continuity, but it it gives you that immersion, and then and then you exit it whenever you want. Like there is this uh, brief moments with poetry, that dialogue that that happens with novels in a different way. Yes, I could see yeah. that. Um, having said this, I'm also inquisitive about: is there a particular? Um, kind of poetry that you are interested in translating um i don't know really i i suppose i pick poetry that speaks to me like you said you know it does have to resonate with you and at the moment i do feel there's such a lot of wonderful poetry being written in sri lanka by tamil poets but it's being written in tamil uh, which is which is far you know obviously fair enough um I'm not saying that as a criticism, but I would like that poetry to be read by others out of the island and outside the diaspora as well. And so that's one of my main aims in translating, really. That's what drives me, because I, I quite I, I just want other people to hear these wonderful voices who writing about important stuff. And if if they aren't heard then I feel as if the truth of the Tamil experience, especially in the war, is going to be lost. And these are sort of oral testimonies. Uh, well, they're written testimonies, but these are testimonies that need to, to, to be disseminated really widely. Um, so that's what draws me to, to writing, uh, to translating. Um, I'm drawn to women and uh, the women's experience of war especially. I feel... Luckily, so far, I haven't come across anybody whose work I've had problems with from an ideological point of view, because I do have strong views about violence and um, I'm a pacifist. I haven't That hasn't been tested so far in, in the stuff that I've translated. So I feel quite lucky, really. What about you? Because you're not a Sri Lankan Tamil, are you? No, I'm not. I'm from India. So because of my uh, nature of my work and my research, I'm mainly interested in uh, works from Sri Lanka, both prose and poetry. And obviously, I'm, I'm limiting myself to translating uh, poetry. And uh, as I go with the process, I also think the languages are common between Tamil Nadu and uh, Jasna, uh, yeah. uh, the northern and the eastern part of Sri Lanka. But then the words, especially the words, they may be the same words, but they... They have different associations. They have the inside associations that as an outsider, I don't have access to. 
or yeah. how I understand the word is entirely different. And then also the um, the war that decades of this war that changed how the words are being used and yes. it's given like new usages for the same old words. Yes. All these translations for me happen only through um, conversation with the author. And sometimes when the author's author is not alive, then you try to make that conversation with whoever poet um, or writer that could tell you, so give you certain insights about certain specific situations, the, the world yeah. speaking to, right? So I wanted to ask you, how do you look at um, your work as a poet and as a translator? How do you differentiate between these two roles? I suppose as a translator, you're using somebody else's mind, um, even though I do believe that the tra- the eventual translation is an act of creativity on my part, the thought processes aren't mine. I suppose I, I, I use somebody else's thought processes, um, although the, the end result will be some sort of a creative um, response, not a response, a, a creation of my own. And as far as my poetry is concerned, I let the words take me wherever they take me, um, which is quite, sometimes they lead me to uh, fun places, sometimes they don't. Yeah, it's strange because I'm doing this in both languages. So as I look at it, I write, I write in Tamil, my poetry is in Tamil. And then I'm translating poems in English and I'm translating poems into Tamil as well. And as I'm going through this process, sometimes I've also translated my own um, poems in, into English. And then I think about it, is that really translation or is it like rewriting in another language? Like it, it's just these jumping between these two languages and these two different thought processes. The Tamil original, does it change once you translate it yourself into English? No, normally I don't. I haven't yet done that. Like I only, I, that is my access. I start my translation there and I finish it there. And based on what comes out in the English, I don't change, go back to Tamil and change it. So it is a trans, it's not a to and fro process. It's just you are moving one from one language to another. You're not recreating as you, as you translate. It's not for me to say whether it is a translation or not, but it sounds as if you're not creating something you're not changing the original when you change when you translate it into english so i suppose it'd be really nice to talk about new london and his work because that's what we've spent the last few months looking at yes i think because you know him quite well so i it'd be nice for you to introduce him i think who he is and what he does sure new london is an artist poet and a political analyst. So he writes um, political columns and he's also um, a cartoonist. I've known him for quite a while now and um, he was one of the survivors in the last, um, in Vani, in the last phase of the war. And um, he relocated to Jaffna. I think it's Jaffna, the larger, the peninsula Jaffna. and this particular uh, collection of poems that we are translating is, he said he had written it earlier, but then now he had the time. It's because it's pandemic lock, um, lockdown and everything that made it possible for him to look at the poems again. And all these poems were um, written about the last 
two or three months during the last phase of the war in April um, that lasted, um, I think it's Feb to May. May, yeah. And um, so the poems are like witnesses to the last few months that were experienced by him and people like him. And um, I think that is the importance of his uh, poem because it is a voice coming directly from that experience. Or I could say one of the voices and a very strong voice that comes um, about that experience. When I wrote his um, poems first, I was girding myself to to read about trauma and suffering. And I was pleasantly surprised because he was there when I mean, the UN have said that between 40 to 70,000 people were killed during those three to four months, especially the last three days um, in May 2009. And he was there and he experienced it. But what comes out in his poetry is just a sort of gentle calmness, uh, a sense of questioning, a sense of wondering about the very nature of survival. Uh, So he looks at the war through the lens of food or local customs and local culture. And what preoccupies him is not blaming uh, either the um, LTTE or the army, but is um, examining how the people survived. How did they survive? How did they get through these this horrible experience? Uh, what do they eat? What do they drink? Um, how do they live? And not only is it skillful, um, unsentimental, compact, beautiful poetry, but these are also sort of documents to scholars who might want to think about this mass exodus of people who were moved from place to place by the Sri Lankan army over three months until they were finally herded to the side of this lagoon and then massacred. And, and that's what drew, drew me his to, to, to his poetry, really. Yeah, it's, um, it's the human conditions that he's talking about in such a delicate manner. Yeah. And his poems are so rooted in the orality, in the oral uh, uh, transmission of of a work, which is what yeah. poetry. In fact, all uh, poetries are rooted in oral tradition. If I was feeling down and I wanted to read something, I would pick up a volume of English poetry. I would never pick up a volume of Tamil poetry, which for me is it's like a puzzle. It's like a locked room Tamil poetry that I really have to work to enter it and to feel it and to understand it. Um, do you have... I suppose I'm sort of asking whether you ha- whether you favour one language over the other. No, I think I would be more naturally tuned into Tamil poetry, but um, I don't see myself uh, alienated from English poetry too. Like I, I can enter both worlds easily. Having said that, I think it is also um, this um, mother tongue and the language of learning, all that come into play when we think of this, isn't it? Like how yeah. how much we acquire into languages at the same time uh, as we grow up. Well, I think it's someone like um, Salman Rushdie has said that in order for him to become the writer that he is, he had to abandon his mother tongue um, and he had to abandon his motherland in order for him to 
occupy the space of, of a post-colonial writer, which I've always found really interesting. And Hermie K. Baba talks about a third space yeah. between the languages and inhabiting this third space. It's quite tricky, isn't it? Because at some point you do have an allegiance. And maybe it's, it's because I am not rooted at all in the culture that I'm translating. But does that give me more freedom to to be more creative with the translation than someone who is rooted in the culture? I would think that translating into Tamil or writing in Tamil is um, a little easier because I'm so familiar with the culture and the words and the connotations, the associations, the denotations, everything that mm. I make in the language. And when I translate it, um, translating anything into English, yes, I do write it. And I do have doubts about certain words that I would ask my friends that I'm not I'm not sure how it would come across to convey that particular meaning. Because English is, uh, when I look at English as a language, it has very specific words and terms for very specific um, things that, and um, meanings, right? And in fact, yeah. it's like, it's a jumble, like few words put together. It is an agglutinous language. Um, new words are formed by adding on other words yeah. to make a completely new word, yes. which could sometimes fill up a whole line, this one word. Yes. And it's an absolute nightmare to try and unpick it and sort of work out exactly what this new word means. Yeah, that uh, I find is the most fascinating thing about uh, translation as well. I recently was talking to a publisher who did tell me that um, he... I think it was a conference that he attended where he was told that um, uh, English translations that come from India, they don't sell very well in um, Europe because they find that the, that, in, that there's problems in the, in the translation, in the language of the translation. And he said this and he told me very candidly, um, uh, he said like, so are we supposed to write in UK English or American English? We live in India, we write in Indian English. Yeah. Oh, that very uh, that comment very interesting. Like how we look at language. I suppose you've you've got to write to the for the for, for your audience. People like uh, Avinash Singha and uh, Jeremy Tiang, they are now championing sort of Hinglish and Chinglish and I suppose Singlish for Sinhala English in down in Sri Lanka. All these sort of local vernacular Englishes. I suppose it depends on the work. Someone like Daljit Nagre over here in his first collection did that really mixed. I think it was Bengali and English. One th one thing, I mean, my ear is so tuned to English poetry that when I do read English translations from uh, India or Sri Lanka, I do notice a difference. There is a difference in the way language is used mainly I think to do with line lengths and the use of end stop sentences. I think end stop lines are very, very popular. It's just a different way of using language. Yeah, I don't think we can say one is less or more than the other. It's just that the um, culture in which the language is understood and used and how it is uh, produced to each culture. So I'm also thinking, so there is no... Um, this notion of universal English is not possible. As much as there are languages, different languages, there are also different uh, versions of English. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I think it is also the issue of editing. Sometimes when it goes through a 
rigorous editing process, then it makes a difference. I know with my own uh, experience with an editor here who looked at my recent um, work, um, she said this translation would work for India or the Asian audience, but um, she was interested in, she's still interested in publishing it here. And she said that there would be a rigorous editing process to suit the North, North American uh, readers or the audience. So yeah. forward to that process that she's, both of us are going to work, that would give me some insights of how these different Englishes are and what it means. I, 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 I absolutely agree with you. There is no hierarchy here. There's not one better English than one. And even within uh, the UK, there are different dialects. So there are different writers who are writing using uh, their local dialect. And it, the, the Queen's English isn't, isn't the, the, the best or the, the standard that we should all be aiming for. You know, that sort of thing. It's not relevant anymore, really. And I think there's enough space for there to be lots of different Englishes, and that's what makes translation really exciting. I think we're living in a very exciting times. I completely, I'm so excited to be translating now with with the whole movement to, to decolonize translation. It's just the possibilities are endless, uh, and it just opens up new wor- worlds, doesn't it? I can sort of see what your editor said in Canada. But there, there is a difference, and I, I can, I can hear the difference. Not that one is wrong and one is right. There is a difference, and just the way the word orders as well. Um, right. There is a, you know, the, the object subject verb thing in Tamil and English is completely different. And sometimes when I read translations, they've kept the Tamil order of words mm-hmm. instead of the English order of words, which is fine. But then you do notice it as a difference. And and I suppose as soon as you start noticing a difference, you start noticing that it's foreign. Yeah. And if your aim is to move something, I'm not saying that it should be, I'm just saying that if your aim is to move something from one culture to another culture seamlessly, you start noticing the seams. But then why not notice the seams? I don't know whether that's right. Or, I, and I have no answer to that. There's nothing wrong with noticing the seams because that's you're noticing the work of the translator, I suppose. Yeah, I think it is also um, how um, there's two different kinds of knowledges to be applied in both the source language and the target language. It's this acute uh, sensitivity and sensibility towards writing in the uh, target language and the same uh, sensitivity and sensibility should be in the understanding of the um, source language. Absolutely. You cannot, you can't, you can't translate someone if you don't understand their words mm-hmm. or their meanings and the nuances of their words. But you could translate someone understanding them perfectly. You could still write a bad translation if you don't understand the source, the target language and its nuances. And it's, I suppose I do believe that actually, if there's something I, I do believe in. You can admire the knowledge um, and the expertise of somebody but you could say, well, actually, that's not a very good poem that's emerged from that knowledge. It's how translators are perceived as well in the East. I think it's probably slightly different to how they're perceived in the West. There are a lot of translations that may not, um, that are in a loose uh, or loosely edited or not done well. But then when a translation is beautifully done, it it gets mm. it gets its attention. And everybody talks about yes. I have... Uh, uh, I've experienced that. 
so and i think the global south we also have to think about the cost of publishing like it boils it all boils down to that um at what cost the book is um presented how much they get as grants what is the status of the publisher like all these come into play and definitely the publishing world in english is different from the publishing world in the local uh, languages if you got any projects lined up um currently i i was just i'm just finished with a book on um, um tea it's a it's a book of poetry and art that we are in the process of uh, publishing soon and it's a collaborative work between um uh, the artist vaidehi myself and uh, ahilan i'm looking forward to that book and i'm also done with the translation of ahilan's poems again that comes out as a second volume and it's going to be published soon from um, south asia too so and when i think of future projects as as you asked me i'm also thinking like we would be continuing with this translation partnership that we both are sharing it's just not partnership of translation alone it's what do you think oh yeah it's been it's been a very close friendship that we've developed i think i've really valued this time at the national center for writing because it's allowed me to think about what sort of a translator i want to be And sometimes I think you're going to tell me off about the sort of translator I want to be, but I have I have no answers as yet. I'm trying to work out uh, about trauma in translation because I carry my own trauma and I'm translating traumatic material. And at some point, I feel as if I need to shield the reader and myself. I I'm trying to find a, a middle space between. Uh, ways of 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 translating trauma really and that's i'm thinking about a lot i'm thinking of being more adventurous with tamil translation so that i stick to the original meaning of the poet very clearly but maybe not the words and i know that's going to really really you're not going to like this at all so we're going to have quite a few discussions about this but we'll leave that for another time um, yeah. and it's been lovely talking to you and to just just hear all your thoughts about translation and your your love of the language both languages and to um just spend this time really just delving into tamil poetry and tamil translation so thank you very much i should thank you too for bringing it through the ncw and now that we found each other we i think that we could do something more meaningful yeah definitely yeah, so a big thank you to the national center for writing from both of us for, for for this residency that has allowed us both to to um to collaborate and to develop this really good relationship so yeah thank you very much thank you thanks for listening and thanks to shash and geeta for that really interesting in-depth conversation if you have any questions either about the conversation or anything else that is coming up at the national center for writing you can find us on twitter and instagram at writer center check out our facebook page and head over to our website at nationalcenterforwriting.org uk where you can also sign up to our weekly newsletter and if you'd like to join our discord community which is full of writers from all over the world sharing work and tips and techniques you can do so by following the link down in the show notes do make sure you hit subscribe on your podcast platform to follow the podcast and catch up on weekly episodes and please do also review us because it helps other people to find the podcast 
As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. So please do consider making a donation today by heading over to the National Centre for Writing website and hitting support us in the top right hand corner. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode when I'll be in conversation with Lewis Buxton. Mm-hmm.